Morning, everyone. Let's get started. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for another day of worship before you. We pray that you would help us to hear and understand your word. I pray that you would give grace to me as I speak, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. pray that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. All right, we're still in First <clears throat> Timothy. And we are in First Timothy 4, 11 through 5, 2. So follow the screen or your Bible if you like as I read. Uh, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself as an, an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. This is the word of the Lord. So, here we are. Paul is talking to Timothy, and the first thing he says is prescribe and teach these things. I like to ask questions about the last week that you paid attention to Sunday school, if you paid attention, at least that you were here, sitting here, and see if you remember, because I always find it a challenge myself to remember what I heard the previous week. So does anyone, just offhand, Joe Helt taught last week, uh, does anyone remember what these things Paul is talking about there in the very first verse? Just top of your head. This is always hard to do, don't feel bad. Anyone? One th- I was kind of counting on one thing. No? Okay. All right, so the, so the these things, well, we'll get to them in a minute. But if you notice, it, throughout the book, what keeps happening is Paul keeps, okay, you can see it here. Paul keeps saying, prescribe and teach these things. And then later down in what I just read, he says, persevere in these things. And he just keeps using that as connecting tissue, right? It's like, it's like if I'm talking to you, if I'm your coach, yeah, that's a bad example because I've never been a coach. But if, I, if, if I'm like, hey, when you kick the ball, kick it like this, you need to practice this and pay attention. Okay, remember that. And then I move to the next thing. Oh, also, communicate with the other players. You know, remember that. And I keep telling you to remember that, and I just keep pointing you back and back to what I've said, just to make you focus. If any, as who here has ever managed anyone? Ever been any kind of manager? Okay, who here has ever trained someone to manage other people? In any, in any way? Okay. Then the, then the way that Paul is talking here should be kind of familiar to you, because this is Paul teaching Timothy how to be a pastor. Timothy knows how to be a pastor, but Paul is reminding him and training him of all kinds of things. And so, when we see a phrase like, prescribe and teach these things, what we should think as we're reading scripture in order not to be lazy is, what, what was he just talking about again? 
we should just ask ourselves, okay, what, what things? Paul keeps emphasizing that, and these were the things. This is part of what Joe Helt taught on last week. Have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, and so on. So Paul was saying, okay, Paul was saying, think about these things. And if you are, let's see, well, this is actually 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. Um, you just see that, so I'm just, what I did was I just moved further back, back uh, upstream to last week. And I'm just, I'm just showing you that Paul keeps saying, hey, think about these things. Then he says the next few things. Then he says, think about these things. Then he says the next few things. Then he says, okay, do these things. He just keeps, it's just a, it's just a, a repetition that you should notice. Okay, what things? We go further back. Oh, it's those things. Okay, it's these things. We go further back. Okay, he keeps doing it. And on and on. If you just pay attention to that, you get a better idea of the structure of the book. And let me see. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go here. Ah, this is, I'm an artist at heart. This is my beautiful color scheme for a few slides. And I have, I, I've separated out some verses. And I've separated the basic structure of 1 Timothy. This is a little simplistic, but there's two categories. One is how to be a shepherd. And two is what to tell the sheep. Uh, again, if you've ever been a manager or you've been managed and you've been, and you've been trained, especially if you've been trained for <clears throat> any kind of leadership, this kind of talk is familiar to you. Um, so let, let, me, let me see how I can ask this. Uh, if you're just thinking about the book so far as you've been reading it or just coming to class or <clears throat> maybe it's stuck with you in the week, what, roughly what percentage of the book would you say is addressed to Timothy as, Timothy, here's how you have to lead. Be careful to lead this way. Here's all the dangers. What percentage is that? <clears throat> and what percentage is, here's how people should behave in your organization, right? I'm kind of talking like a manager. The organization here is the church. It's not Menards. But the same kind of basic flow of thought. Do you understand what I'm asking? What percentage is Timothy? Here's all the ways you could go wrong in your leadership. Here's the things to be on guard about. And what percentage is, Timothy, make sure your employees do this. Make sure they do that. Make sure they do this. I want, <clears throat> I want the people stocking produce. Now I've moved to Kroger, I guess. I want the people stocking produce to put the produce here. I want the people stocking soup to make sure they do it this way. And then he's like, Timothy, if you don't, be careful because this will happen. Do you understand those two kinds of, right? It's very basic. Okay. Someone give me a, a rough percentage. What would you guess? Is that question understandable that I just asked? Someone just throw out the most rough. All right. I think that's about right. Was that Mary Lee? Thank you. I think it's, I think it's about 50-50. I didn't go through. And this is a little simplistic. We'll see. But let's just, let's just look at this. This is a helpful thing. Again, I said something like this last time I taught, but every time I am asked to teach anything to anyone, I realize I am lazy with the Bible. I'm not even trying to ask basic questions like the one I was just asking you. What are these things? I don't even ask that question when I read often. I'm not even trying to ask basic questions like, what is the basic flow of the book on the most basic level? 
So on the most basic level, what I'm saying is Paul is just moving back and forth between two kinds of things. Timothy, do your job. Okay, Timothy, here's what people in your organization need to do. All right, so I'm not going to read through all this. I'm just putting it up there for you to see. You start in 1 Timothy. Okay, Timothy, I put you in Macedonia so that you could teach certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And then Paul goes on and on about those men and the danger of their teaching. And then Paul moves into, okay, here's how you should behave in the church. I want men to pray. I want men to lift holy hands in prayer. I want the women to submit. I want the elders to be this and this. I want the deacons to have these qualifications, okay? Then we, then we go on, and this I put both colors because, like I said, my outline is a little simplistic. And if you've ever trained anyone for leadership, you know that you mix these kinds of speech together. Okay, I'm writing to you. Here's why I'm writing to you. Here's some dangers in your job because in later times, some will fall away from the faith and pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Timothy, here are false teachers coming. Make sure that you teach people the opposite of what they would teach. Okay, here's the deal with widows. Here's the deal with elders who rule well. All right, Timothy. Then we get down to the bottom here. Timothy, you better do your job. I mean, I'm charging you solemnly in the presence of God. Do your job. Okay, let's go on. Here's how I want slaves to act. Here's how you should think about people spreading doctrine. Okay, Timothy, flee from these evil things. Do your job. Are you getting the basic idea? This is the only thing happening in the book of 1 Timothy. It's just Paul saying he's moving from one thing to the next. Okay, here's some instructions on the rich. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. This is very repetitive, right? So, so now when you read 1 Timothy, and when you think about what we're doing today, just think about this basic, basic division of Paul's teaching. What are we... <clears throat> What is this passage today? Which of those two things was it? If you remember colors well, was it blue or green? What, what is this passage? Is this instructions directly to Timothy, like, do your job? Or is it, here's how I want people to behave in the church? Both? Why do you say both? Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, it definitely applies to both, especially because the, Timothy is a pastor, right? The way a pastor relates to other people in the congregation is modeling. If you see your pastor treat people a certain way, you learn something from that, like it or not, about how to treat those people. I, I put it more in the category of speech directly to Timothy, but again, this is a, my outline is simplistic. I'm just trying to give you the basic idea of what's happening here. So, yeah, that's a good answer, Anthony. Um, all right, let's get into this passage a little more. Would someone give me... So the, that first verse right there, prescribe and teach these things, verse 11. Um, someone give me synonyms for those words, prescribe and teach. I just want another wording. It's just a simple, simple rewording. Synonyms. What's that? Did you say discipline? A sign? Okay. Someone else? Someone else was talking. Who? Command. Command and what about for teach? Sure. 
command and explain. I think that's roughly like, yeah. Command and explain these things. Um, do you do both of these, if you have children, do you do both of these with your children? <laughs> you command and explain, right? You don't ever just, obviously there's times where you just say, unload the dishes. Why? I want an explanation. No, you don't. <laughs> because I told you to. And there's other times where, Daddy, why do we always unload the dishwasher? Okay, you're actually asking a question. You're not just trying to rebel. I will explain to you why I always have you and your sister unload the dishwasher. Okay. But you don't really have the option as a parent, certainly not as a pastor, to do only one and not the other. Um, it's an easy thing to think that some people in the church are good at commanding other people to do things, right? and making them feel the burn in their conscience. Other people are just good at explaining things. And other people you go to, and you know, you find a lecture from, there's Christian ministries I could name. I think I'll refrain. You find a lecture from someone who's a scholar about the Bible. And they go through, and they explain fine distinctions to you. And I'm not saying it's not helpful, by the way. But they, they just explain, this is what the text says, here are all the things you should consider. Here's the scholarly background. Here's my professional opinion. Here's what's going on. And they leave that information with you. And today we think of teachers generally as, well, they give us good information. Now, in the church, in the church of God, put those ministries out of your mind, if you like, but think about our church. In the church of God, are we free to have men over us who simply dispense useful scholarly information. Does that work? Is that a good dynamic? I've heard sermons like that before. I've heard a lot of them. They were good information. They were a fine lecture, right? At what point did the lecture hit me? What, at what point did it pierce my heart and do anything to me? Well, I can kind of make my own application of some of those lectures, and that might be useful. But the, the model for, for pastors, and by implication for parents too, is not, it's okay if some people in the church who are over you in the Lord, they just explain things, they just give information. You can feel, as you read this letter, one thing you should develop a sensitivity to is that it just drips with authority. Paul keeps commanding and commanding and commanding Timothy. And he is telling Timothy, Timothy, you have authority. You've got to use your authority. You don't have the option just to explain doctrines in a fluid way to your listeners so they understand that you are well studied in the scriptures. You have to command and teach. Commanding and teaching are not meant to be separated. That's actually all I'm saying. They're not meant to be separated in the church, and it's not good for us when we do it. Commanding and teaching are not meant to be separated in the home. It's not good for our kids when we do it. All right, youthfulness. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Um, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example. Okay, so uh, in, I just remembered that in youth group in junior high, in this one church back in Tennessee, we had uh, a picture on the youth group wall, and it was, you know those, uh, those Calvin and Hobbes ripoffs? The comic book, Calvin and Hobbes, right? And you have Calvin, and you have a cross, and Calvin is like, 
you know the original artist didn't draw that, right? So, but, but, they, but they bought the license. To, I don't know how that worked. They bought the license to his art. And they, so anyway, in this, in this little drawing, it showed Calvin like this, and it quoted part of this verse, and it said, let no one look down on you because you're young, right? And that was like, now is that the message of this verse? Hey, I want you to know, if you're young, don't let people look down on you. You deserve just as much respect as anyone. You deserve just as much respect as someone who's your elder or your dad. You deserve respect. Is that the message of this verse? <laughs> right? That's, that's really silly. I, I didn't even remember that before I came up here, but it just occurred to me, oh yeah, that's what I always think of when I read this verse. Um, okay, what's, what's the idea here? The idea is, Okay, think of who, who Timothy is. Does Timothy, Timothy's already a pastor, yes? He's already in authority. Does Timothy have Paul's approval, the Apostle Paul's approval or not? Yeah, okay. Is that something to be dismissed? Even if Tim Bailey came and put his hand on one of our pastors and said, this man has my full trust and authority, none of us would take that lightly. None of us with any sense anyway. We wouldn't take that lightly. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has his hand on Timothy's shoulder and he's saying, this man has my approval. So why doesn't he just say that here? Have you ever thought about that? Why doesn't he just say, why doesn't he just say to the church? Like, why doesn't he say, let no one look down on your youthfulness. I'm an apostle. I am Paul. I approved you for ministry and I put you there. Make sure that you get respect. Well, it's because, okay, lots of you have kids, lots of you are younger. I guess I'm younger still. Um, some people think I'm old, but I don't think so. But what's the, do I have as much understanding as, okay, I'll name a man I know and love, Frank Mead. Do you think I have as much understanding about life as Frank? No. Um, do your kids have as much understanding about life as you do? Is there, is there a, a very reasonable prejudice against the young? That if you're young and you want to be respected as an authority, you're going to have to overcome that prejudice. Is that a little bit reasonable to ask? Okay, do you just deserve respect? No, you don't just deserve respect. In scripture, there's a constant emphasis on you better respect the elderly, because they're the elderly, right? Um, the crown, oh, the gray hair is the crown of the aged. That's from Proverbs somewhere. Okay, that's a constant theme. And Paul doesn't say you have my authority. He says you need to overcome the prejudice against your, your young age. How are you going to do that? So this is a lesson for you. If, if, you're, um, if any of you here today feel like you deserve more respect than you have, Maybe you're not younger, you're older. I don't know. But if you think you deserve more respect than you have, you think people look down on you, you sometimes feel resentful that people don't recognize your gifts and the way that you've loved others and the sincere ways you've served and the wisdom that you do have, and you feel like it ought to be recognized. Well, this is an answer, this is an answer for a pastor, right? A pastor who already has authority. How much more is it an answer for you? if you're not a pastor or elder? How much more is it an answer for you if you're not even a father or mother yet? But even if you are, are you conducting yourself 
in a way that is an example to other believers. Are you, is your speech any use to anyone else? Not just are you not vulgar, right? But do you say things that help anyone? (laughs) What do you talk about when you see other people? Are you just silly all the time? Do you talk about things that matter? Um, are, are you pure? Are you known for someone who's pure? What's your conduct like? Are people like, eh, sometimes he's a decent guy and then sometimes you like, can't trust him to follow through on what he says. Okay, what is your conduct like? If you want respect, this is, this is the metric. Okay, next verse. Until I come, give attention to the reading of Scripture, the public reading of Scripture. Those words are in italics because they're not really there in the text. It just says, give attention to the reading. Give attention to the reading, to exhortation and teaching. Um, I didn't know that there was such a diversity of opinions about this verse. Well, actually, there's two. But there's a lot of people on both sides. So Calvin says, well, the reading means... I'm just going to ask you guys, what do you think the reading means? Someone give me what they think. What is the reading? It doesn't say public reading of Scripture. just says reading. What is that? Just give a guess. Reading out loud. Reading what out loud? Reading scripture out loud. Okay, so you think that, you're saying that it's understandable the, translator, the translators would put those extra words in because you think, yeah, that's what it is. Okay. What else could it be? What's that? To do, to do what? Yeah, okay. That's the other opinion. What Tracy Smith said is that it just means read the Bible. Timothy, you need to be reading the Bible. If you're not studying the Bible, you can't do your ministry. Um, that's what Calvin says this means. But both the NASB and the ESV have this, they put in these words about public reading. Uh, I guess opinion has shifted. I read people on both sides. Um, and I think it certainly makes sense that if you don't read the Bible, you can't do your work as a pastor. You can't exhort and teach well. But also, um, look at what Paul says later. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Well, it's easier if you take the idea of reading to mean, and so this is where I'm going with it, I think reading means like what it means here, like in, in the book of Nehemiah, when Ezra the priest reads the law, and then you have all of these other guys whose names I won't read, um, they read and they translate that word also, could be, it could be explain, they give the sense of it. So you're reading and you're expositing, right? You're reading, you're explaining. And then in Luke 4, 16 through 22, there's just a fragment of that there. Jesus came to Nazareth. He entered the synagogue. He reads part of the book of Isaiah. And then he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, that's the reading. It was happening in public, right? You find that all through scripture. And whatever you think about it, it fits, it fits the meaning of this passage. Okay, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. There's a lot in there. Um, I don't feel adequate to talk about it, but I, uh, here's where I will go. Laying on of hands in the Bible is all over the place. It happens for a lot of different reasons. Um, when we, we'll get to this in a second, but 
here in this church, we don't just let men serve unless they're, as pastors unless they're commissioned. Pastors, elders, deacons all have to be commissioned. We lay, or the, the other pastors lay their hands on them to commission them. Now, is that a biblical practice? Should we think of it as something normal and even required? Is it just optional? Is it just random? I mean, how many references, is there any place in the New Testament, does anyone know, where we simply hear the instruction, whenever you have a pastor, elder, or deacon, you must lay hands on them to commission them for office. Is there any place in the Bible that just says that? If you're shaking your head, you're correct. There's no place that just says that. Instead, what we see is a pattern. Okay, I'm not going to read through all these, but you have the Levites being commissioned in Numbers 8. You have Joshua being commissioned by Moses in Numbers 27. This is all through the laying on of hands. You have Jesus laying his hands on children to bless them, which we understand and we do in prayer for each other sometimes. You have Jesus laying his hands on a little girl in Mark to heal her. You have the congregation laying hands on someone who cursed God before he's stoned to transfer guilt and blame, which is also what the Levites do with animals for all the sacrifices. They lay their hands on them before they slaughter them. And then you have Saul and Barnabas being set aside for a particular work by the laying on of hands. And then... Finally, you have, there's, and there's lots and lots and lots of other examples of this, but then you have, later on in this, uh, I think Stephen or Joe will get to it next week, Paul says to Timothy, right after what I read, don't lay hands, and, th- and this is in the context of, I don't have time to go through this, this is in the context of elders, in the context of talking even more about elders, he says, don't lay hands upon anyone too hastily. The idea being, laying on of hands is normal, you do it, you do it to commission men who have a specific role to fulfill by God. And Paul is just basically assuming that that's what's going on. Of course you lay your hands on guys when you ordain them, when you commission them to be elders. I'm not going to try to make a further argument. This is from the Evangel Presbytery Book of Church Order, though. And that you, if you're going to ordain someone in the presbytery we're now a part of, you have to have the other ministers lay their hands on the man. So we take it as a normative, a normal practice that you should do. Okay, so marching on, uh, let's see, where are we? Take pains with these things, be absorbed with them. Pay cl- okay, so now we get to something really heavy. Pay, atten- pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. It's a little interesting that this version of the Bible says, ensure salvation. Does anyone, you have a little note in your Bible you could see, but it says literally, do you know what it literally says? It's, it's even simpler. Anyone have that little note in front of them? What's that? Yeah, it just says, it just says as you do this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Does that make you a little uneasy? <laughs> Just be honest, right? Doesn't that, it makes me uneasy. Don't you understand why they'd want to translate it? Uh, let's not say save. Let's say ensure salvation. Because that doesn't sound as bad. It doesn't sound as much like the Holy Spirit is saying that Timothy is, is responsible to save himself and his hearers from hell. Right? You understand why the translators would do that. Okay. Uh... 
Let's have a, a typical Sunday school question and answer. Who is the Savior of sinners? Jesus. Okay. I'm glad that we are all on the same page. Um, and and it, you'd think that maybe Paul forgot that or something when he wrote those lines. I'm being facetious, but still, you feel the, Paul, what are you, what are you talking about? You'll save both yourself and your hearers. Didn't you say a bunch of times in this book already, God our Savior. Foop. God our Savior. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God our Savior. The living God who is the Savior. Didn't you just keep saying God is the Savior, not man? You already said that a bunch of times. And then in 2 Timothy, he goes on and he says it even more. So how did you get to Timothy? You have to save yourself and your hearers. It's on you. How do you get there? From God as our Savior. We have, I really want to ask you for your answers, but since we have two minutes, I won't. Um, but you should all feel this tension, right? It's weird. You should feel it. Um, the easiest way for me to deal with this in two minutes is to read some Calvin to you. But before I do that, uh, there's a very common, 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 constant refrain in the Bible, which is leaders bear responsibility for the sins of those they lead. Leaders bear the responsibility. They bear the weight. And there's a million passages I could have pulled. I only pulled like two. Um, so just take this even. In the New Testament, Matthew 15, 14, the disciples come to Jesus about something he said. Don't you know the Pharisees were offended? Jesus answered and said, I'm just going to go here. They are blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. In other words, if the Pharisees are your leader and they fall into a pit, guess where you're going? You're going into the pit with them. Jesus just assumes the link between the leader and the follower, the father and the son, the father and the daughter, the governor and the governed, the king and those he rules, the pastor and those he shepherds. It is always there in the Bible. Isaiah 9, 14 through 16 is one of a million examples from the prophets. Uh, so the Lord cuts off head and tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush in a single day. The head is the elder and honorable man, and the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. For those who guide this people are leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are brought to confusion. Think about what the Lord says to Ezekiel, and I didn't, I didn't pull this in here. Um, what the Lord says to Ezekiel is, you're a watchman on the walls, and if you fail to sound the alarm to those you see going into sin, their blood's on your head. Their blood is on your head. And so the link, and that's, that kind of thing is said in the New Testament too, the link between leader and led is incredibly tight. So how should we think about what it means that God has ultimate responsibility and gets all the glory for our salvation. And yet he puts such a heavy responsibility on weak sinful men like our pastors, meaning no offense. They're weak and sinful men and they're worthy of our respect and God put them over us so that we can be saved, right? You follow that, right? Okay, that is very heavy. What man really wants that on his shoulders? No man who has any wisdom wants that on his shoulders. But God has said, that's on your shoulders. You want to be a pastor? Guess what? 
you're responsible. So generally, when we think about God's work and our work in salvation, we have there are a lot of passages we often think about that are related to that. So here's the most common one. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for, what? For it is God who, as, who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our tendency is to think, well, if it's God working in me, I'm not going to bother at least not with that much effort, because it's God working in me. Who can thwart God's purposes? And the opposite logic is on display in this passage. Why? Why should you work so hard? Why should you work at your salvation with fear and trembling? Because it's God at work in you. And God gets the glory for any work you do. I don't have time to make some detailed argument about this mystery, but I'm just going to say this mystery is all over the Bible. It's assumed God is our Savior, not Timothy, not Tim Bailey, not Jody Killingsworth, not Stephen Baker, not anyone who teaches or leads us is our Savior, only God. And yet, God also puts on their shoulders the responsibility of our salvation. He does both. All right, so let me read Calvin, because Calvin is a ve- the most, some of the most helpful shorthand you can find on this kind of thing. Okay, True. This is from his commentary on this this passage. True, it is God alone that saves, and not even the smallest portion of his glory can lawfully be bestowed on men, but God parts with no portion of his glory when he employs the agency of men for bestowing salvation. Did did you follow that? It is only God, and if God wants to put some of that, if he wants to work through men, sinful men who are our pastors, he can do that. That's kind of nice. Calvin just says, uh, that's how it works. Because the Bible says, so our salvation is therefore the gift of God alone. Because from him alone it proceeds. By his power alone it is performed. And therefore to him alone, as the author, it must be ascribed. Which is what Paul's already been doing through the book. God our Savior. God our Savior. Jesus who came to save us. God our Savior. Paul is only ascribing salvation to one person. person is God. No man. But the ministry of men is not on that account excluded. I'll skip over a little bit more. Um, And then Calvin goes on to make reference to the verse from Philippians that I just read. It's customary to speak of believers as performing their salvation when they're faithful to work out the grace God has given them. All right, so let's leave that mystery at that. The last thing is these, these two verses from chapter 5. Do not sharply rebuke an older man. And he goes on. Um, in the Chinese church where my wife uh, lived and worked for a number of years, well, she was in China, not so often, I guess, in the Chinese church. But she saw a lot of the Chinese church. And in the Chinese church, the normal way of address inside a congregation is brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, Father and mother as well? Not so much. But brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, that's just what you say. I just say brother Nathan. I say brother Bob. I say sister Amy. That's just what I say. Um, And this is presuming, we don't have time to go into this much, but think about the level of intimacy and the level of commitment to one another that is taken for granted 
in those last two verses. Um, and think about how much, how much work and dedication it takes to have affection for one another as fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, to be pure if you're a man towards younger women as sisters, to be respectful towards older men as fathers and older women as mothers, to love other men like brothers. Think of how much work that takes. How much work is assumed, just gestured at, in those two verses. It's a ton of work. In this church, in any other church, living as the family of God does not come easy. And there we should end. So let me pray for us, and we'll be done. Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we thank you that you are the author of our salvation, and that you have given us pastors to love us and have the charge of our souls. And we pray that we would be faithful to love and respect our pastors in their ministry, to pray for them, to show them honor, to provide for them, and to encourage them in any way that we can. And we also pray that we would love one another as the family of God. We pray that your word would live in our heart this week and produce fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.